Welcome to Exploring Bible Prophecy with our teacher, Steve Butler. We are in a series right now exploring the important prophecy terms found in God's Word. You can follow along with our free study guide that you can download from our website. Simply visit whcbradio.org. That's whcbradio.org. Click on the program name, Exploring Bible Prophecy, and there you will find our free study guide. So open your Bibles, download your study guides, and prepare to explore Bible prophecy. Hello and welcome to Exploring Bible Prophecy. In today's program, we are continuing in our series, Important Prophecy Terms, and we're using our worksheet that contains all the scriptures that we cover. And in this particular case, it's scriptures dealing with seven sets of terms that are prophetic terms that when you read them, without any background, without any uh, insight, they may look alike, they may sound alike, they may involve the same person, and therefore they must be the same thing. And that can get us into some uh, interpretation issues when it comes to the Scriptures, particularly as it comes to the prophetic Scriptures as we look to the events that are yet to take place most of which, of course, deal with Israel, but it also deals with the church because we are talking about the rapture of the church. We're talking about the um, marriage uh, to our uh, bridegroom, Jesus Christ. We're talking about uh, being given authority by Christ to rule and reign with him when he comes back at his second coming. Uh, So, yes, most of it has to do with Israel, but we play an important role, and it's important that we understand all of that. God gave every man and woman all 66 books. He didn't say this is to the Jew and this is to the Gentile. Um, in context, there are, you know, I guess a better way to say it here, and we've said it several times, is the whole Bible, all 66 books, is for us, but we need to be careful in our study because not all of it is about us. Remember, four-fifths of it is to Israel. One-fifth is to the church. There are principles and some lifestyle life, uh, applications from Israel that the church can take and appreciate, but we have to understand who is speaking to whom about what to properly understand it. So that's why we're going through these seven sets of terms. We're in point number three in our worksheet that you can download from the radio station website, and it's the gospel of the kingdom. And it's the gospel that Jesus preached the first time he came 2,000 years ago to the earth as the promised Messiah, the promised prophet, the promised king, the promised conqueror. And we've been spending some time here in the last few programs developing the point in more detail using the scriptures that the Israelites were looking for a king. They were looking for a conqueror. They were looking for somebody to run the Roman Empire off, uh, to take the shackles off of the 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 nation of Israel and the people of Israel, and then to set Israel up on the the pinnacle of the world again, as was specifically promised, and we read that in Deuteronomy 28, and it's mentioned in other places, that if Israel would simply uh, believe Jesus and that he was the king, he would set his kingdom up and make Israel the preeminent nation and the preeminent people in the world, and the rest of the world would fear them, have have a... healthy respect for Israel, if you will. And that will happen. That will happen in the millennial kingdom. But it was promised 2,000 years ago. So we went through all that, and that's what the Israelites were looking for. 
what they weren't looking for necessarily, even though it was prophesied in the Old Testament. They weren't looking for somebody to come in and tell them they had to clean themselves up spiritually, morally, ethically, uh, to become righteous in their belief that Jesus Christ was the promised king, that he was the son of the living God. And not only were they told that they had to change their life uh, completely to have a circumcised heart, as it says, a heart of flesh, but they had to totally believe in who he was and that they would be persecuted for it. That was the real, in my estimation, that was a real clincher right there when it says that they would have to be, they would be persecuted, not only persecuted by, you know, some guy on the street, they'd be persecuted by their own family members. And that can really give you pause when somebody comes along and tells you something totally new. You know, the the priests, the, the crooked priests of the time, the Levites uh, in in Israel at that time were not preaching any of this. They were preaching their own brand of religiosity, and that was very unfortunate. But this was the world that God purposely set Jesus into to bring this good news because there would be a remnant uh, of believers who that when he was crucified and was gloriously resurrected back to heaven and the church started, they would be the first members of the church. And indeed, we find that the um, apostles were the first members of the church. So we've been developing this point that Jesus preached this gospel, and he could sense that the people were not readily accepting it, even though he was showing himself to be God in the sense that he was doing miracles that only God could do, or at least what most people thought God could do. I mean, they, they were believing in other gods. Obviously, that was one of their major problems with their spirituality, it was focused on man-made idols and the gods of the nations around them and not on the one true God who had brought Israel through all this 14, well, no, actually 2,000 years of history since Abraham with all the miracles and so forth. They just weren't believing him. So they were starting after he told them on the Sermon on the Mount what the, the moral and spiritual and ethical requirements of the kingdom would be and the fact that they would be persecuted the people started murmuring among themselves, and particularly the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and they kept trying to trap Jesus going forward. So from chapter 7 of Matthew, that's the end of the Sermon on the Mount, you can start seeing that transition away. Well, not that they were ever there, except for the remnant, but you could see people turning against the gospel. So Jesus gathers his disciples and picks 12 out. That's where we were in Matthew 10. He picks the 12 out and turns them from students, meaning disciple, meaning student, into apostle, meaning messenger. And he's um, giving them the power to do the miraculous things that he did, the healing of the sick and the driving out of uh, evil spirits and being able to, to feed the people in miraculous ways and to do things that the people thought had to be miracles from some god, if you will so that it would attract them to the gospel, so that they would come near and hear the apostles, as Jesus had been doing, preach this gospel. So we've seen how he's charged them to go just to Israel, Matthew chapter 10, verse 5, 6, 7, and 8. Go just to the lost people of Israel. Don't go to the Gentiles. Don't go to the Samaritans. Because the the Jews, once they accepted Jesus, 
as the king, as the Messiah, as the son of the living God, they were then to take the good news to the Gentiles and the Samaritans. So that's why he separated out Israel and said in verse 6, only go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand, the king is here, he's in the flesh among us, ready to set up the kingdom. Verse 8, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons, freely you receive, freely you give it away. That's the charge to the apostles to send them out. Now, in today's program, let's move on down to verse 16 and look for a few verses here down to at least verse 23 and see what uh, what the further instructions were by Jesus to these 12 apostles. He says in verse 16, Behold, I am sending you, I, Jesus, am sending you, the 12 apostles, out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. And you're thinking, wait a minute, this is Israel. The king is here. He's ready to set up his kingdom. Surely they're they're eagerly uh, looking forward to this, right? Now you can see right here by the word by the use of the word the midst of wolves. Now remember, he's talking about only going to the Israelites. So he's referring to these Israelites who are looking for a king, a conqueror, but they're not necessarily looking for somebody who's going to dictate morals to them. And he's calling them wolves. So they are turned away. They're turning away, and most of them have turned away from wanting to understand and believe this gospel. And this is, um, you know, perhaps about midway through or maybe a little bit more than halfway through Christ's ministry here on the earth when he does this. And he's talking about this not only when they immediately go out, but it's going to be something that happens for a while. And we'll see that as we go through some other verses. But I want to establish that point that it's not just for that immediate period of weeks or months right here that he's talking about. So if you would, keep your hand in Matthew chapter 10, because we're going to come back immediately to it. But I'd like you to go to Acts, the book of Acts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Acts chapter 20, and look at what Paul, Paul is at the end of his last missionary journey, last missionary journey, and he has left Ephesus, and uh, that's in on the coast of the uh, west side of Turkey, the town of Ephesus, and he's moved down to a little town called Miletus. And he's done this purposely because he's called all the elders, all the Christian elders of Ephesus, a major Christian center, down to Miletus so that the people will not um, try to do anything crazy with Paul, like turn him into a um, an idol or something to worship. So he's pulled all of the elders down to this little town called Miletus. And he's getting real personal with them because he, he won't see them again because he knows through the leading of the Holy Spirit that once he goes down to Israel and then ultimately to Rome, he's going to be killed. So he won't see them again. So he, this is a rather uh, sensitive farewell to the elders. But look what he says because I want to relate it directly back to the charge to the apostles by Jesus some years before. In verse um, chapter 20 of Acts, verse 28 to 30, G, uh, Paul, talking to the elders, be on guard for yourselves 
and for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Boy, that is a heavy passage right there. That is a heavy admonition, a warning to the leaders in the church to be on guard, to be in the word, and to and to preach the word that uh, to the body of God, which was purchased by the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, because people are going to come in and try and disrupt it, and if they can, they will destroy it. That's what Satan wants to do. And when you talk about savage wolves in 29, you know, you can't help but think that they're motivated uh, in some way by Satan. Because what what do wolves do? They come in among the sheep and devour them. They don't come in and mate with them or whatever other thing you want to think about. They come in to kill. They come in for food to feed. And he says they will come in among you. They will come in among the leadership even. And then it says in 30, to make it even more clear, they're going to come from among yourselves. So verse 29 is not only people coming in from the outside as leaders and working them way into your group of leadership, but there are some that are going to come up through your own ranks and are going to leave you for whatever reason and speak perverse things, trying to draw the disciples away from them. And we, you know, pastors know that. Pastors that have gone through seminary with fellow seminary students that have all gone through the courses on dispensationalism and pre-trib, pre-mill um, dispensations say that there are their, their friends in seminary have gone into the pastorate and have changed and have gone over to amillennialism and post-tribulationalism and just distortions of the scriptures. But they came up together through the seminaries. So we can see that Paul's admonition has just as much impact today as it did back then. And even before Paul, several, several years before Paul was converted, in fact, let's just go ahead and say this is about 15, more than 15 years after Christ died on the cross that Paul is saying this. But as we go back those 15 years, back to Christ on the earth, challenging his apostles here, commissioning, if you will, his apostles here in Matthew chapter 10. So let's go back to to, uh, chapter 10 of Matthew, and hopefully you can see the the gravity of this comment about being among the wolves, because here the wolves are out there, and you're walking to them, apostles. Be aware of who they are. Be shrewd as serpents, but innocent as doves, because Down the road, those same wolves are going to start coming in among you. It's going to get even more perverse. It's going to get even worse than it was at that time. So you can see that here in the ministry, he's sending out the apostles for the first time, and he's already warning them about how the people have turned against the gospel of the kingdom because of these mostly, and again, this is my perspective, mostly because of what they had not heard before, that there was going to be a moral and ethical 
and righteous requirement to obey God and to obey his commandments. Even though it had been said in the Old Testament, it hasn't been taught by the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the priests, and so forth. To them, they were just expecting this powerful king to come. All right, that's verse 16 of Matthew 10. Let's continue on. Be aware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues. Now this is, again, as we go forward here, he's not only talking about the immediate future as soon as he sends them out, but he's also talking about a little bit further, longer term, even after he has been crucified, buried, resurrected, and left the earth. He's actually hinting to the future here because scourging in the synagogues, and you'll see here brought before kings, these are things that the apostles did after Christ left. So we know that this is yet future past the time of Christ. So he's giving them an eye. He's he's actually charging them to be ready even after I'm gone, even though he's not talked about his departure yet. He's just getting them mentally prepared to do this. Because one thing to remember about Christianity, uh, to be aware of about Christianity, is that unlike any other religion, if you want to call it a religion, it's actually a relationship, but let's call it a religion for discussion purposes here. There's no other religion where a personage, in this case Jesus Christ, came on the scene and drew people to him, which we call disciples and apostles, and told them what he was there for and that his impact would be even into the future, way future. And then they horribly kill him, not his apostles, but the governmental entity uh, that in which this um, religion was uh, initiated. The governmental entity, entity kills the head guy. In every case, the people disperse, and it has an impact for just a short, short time after the death of that key leader. Only Christianity, after the death of the leader, here Jesus Christ, actually got stronger and stronger and stronger. That the apostles, none of the apostles left him. None of the apostles left him. They all ended up, with the exception of John, all of them ended up dying for their faith. So it's an amazing thing to appreciate the power of the gospel, the power of righteousness through Christ, and what the Holy Spirit does in your life, that even after your leader has been physically killed, he spiritually is as powerful as ever through the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So we're going to develop that a little bit later as we continue through these passages from 16 to 23 in Matthew 10 in our next program. But now, as we always do, we want to transition over to our Q&A, and we were wrapping up the groups that are counted as righteous by the Lord throughout the Bible that are not included in the rapture of the church. And so there we developed the details around who the church was and why the rapture was for the church. Then we started to look at the groups that are counted as righteous by God throughout the Bible but not included in the rapture. We looked at the Old Testament saints, and those are everybody from Adam and Eve, the first saints, if you will, and then uh, their, their son Abel, who was killed for his faith by Cain, 
all the way through all those righteous people up until Christ went back to heaven. That's called Old Testament saints. And they will be resurrected at the end of the tribulation, at least because we don't know exactly when the church is going to be raptured relative to the tribulation, which we know is seven years. So let's just say at least seven years after the church is raptured, the tribulation saints, or excuse me, the Old Testament saints will be resurrected and given glorified bodies just as the church. They'll be separate from the church, but they will be recognized as righteous and given glorified bodies at that time. Then we talked about the tribulation saints, which are yet future, and these are people who die for their faith during the tribulation, that seven-year tribulation. They, like the Old Testament saints, will be resurrected at the end of the tribulation when Christ comes back and will be given glorified bodies and will um, as well be with the Lord forever. Then we talked about the two sets of people living on the earth at the end of the tribulation, the Jews and the Gentiles. And we spent time going through Ezekiel 20 and Zechariah 13 to talk about the judging of the Jews and how those that are counted as righteous at the end of the tribulation will literally walk into the kingdom and populate the the land of Israel. And at that point, right after the judgment, every person in Israel will be righteous. So all Israel will be saved at that point in time. Then we finished up by looking at Matthew 25 and Joel 3 to talk about the judgment at the same time as the Jews, the Gentiles, so the, everybody else on the earth that survived the tribulation. The Gentiles will be judged by Jesus sitting on his glorious throne, and we see that in Matthew 25, and that's where we concluded. So let's finish up Matthew 25 uh, in this program, and then we'll move to a, another question. And in Matthew 25, we read, starting in verse 31, about Jesus sitting on his throne and taking all the nations of the earth and separating them, separating them into the sheep and the goats. And we learn by reading this passage that the sheep are those who treated Israel righteously, fed them, uh, gave them something to drink, clothed them, visited them in prison, um, treated them when they were sick and so forth. In fact, when Jesus judged them as being righteous, and if you look at verse 34, it says, then the king will say to those on his right, that's the sheep, and this is verse 34 of Matthew 25, come you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. This is the millennial kingdom. And they were given that, and and he says, you're blessed because of that. And they said, well, why? What did we do? And he says, because you did those things. You fed, you um, clothed, you gave water to, you visited in prison, you healed when they were sick. And who's he talking about? That's one of the great theological, I shouldn't say great, but it's a theological discussion about who these people are because more and more people want to apply all of this to the church. So this is an admonition to us. Well, yes, this is another example where it is specifically talking about Jews, how Gentiles treated Jews during the tribulation, and even more specifically during the second half of the tribulation when the Jews are being horribly persecuted and sought and searched out by the Antichrist, and he's trying to annihilate every one of them. Because if he can kill all the Jews, then Jesus won't come back because there's no Jew to 
to plead for him to come back because that's the condition that Jesus stipulated would, would bring him back was when Israel said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So his intention is to get rid of him. So if you're a Gentile and you're, you're helping a Jew during the second half of the tribulation, in my estimation, you've got to be a very faithful, strong faith person because you're risking your life every time you come near a Jew, every time you do anything for a Jew during the second half of the tribulation, you've got to be standing on the foundation of a belief in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And if you do, this is your blessing. And you stand there and he says, you you have inherited the kingdom that's been prepared for you by God the Father. And it's because you did it for the least of mine. And as you recall in our last program, we started this discussion about how the Gentiles were judged by Jesus at his second coming by going to Joel chapter 3, verse 2, and showing clearly, because he clearly describes when this is going to happen, who's involved, and it's the Gentiles of the earth at the end of the tribulation are going to be judged by Jesus on behalf of Israel and the fact that they had driven Israel out and had divided up their land. And they've done all that. I mean, that's 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 history. We know that for a fact. And that they, uh, they're they going to be judged for that. So Matthew 25 is merely adding detail around that particular judgment of Israel, excuse me, judgment of the Gentiles and how they treated Israel. So when you go, for instance, to Matthew 25, verse 40, and it says, the king will answer when they ask, when did we do this? He says, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine. Now you can say brothers is brothers in Christ, but this is Jesus talking, answering a Jewish question in the first century about the second coming of Christ. Therefore, we know the church is not involved here at all because the church has been raptured out at least seven years before. And it says that you did to these brothers of mine. Well, Jesus is a Jew. Hopefully that doesn't surprise you. (laughs) Jesus is a Jew born uh, to a Jewish mother in Israel. (laughs) He's talking about the brothers of mine as the Jews. Even the least of them, you did it to me. So I think Joel chapter 3, verse 2 clarifies that question of who are the brothers? Who's your brother? That, that is answered by Joel chapter 3, verse 2. It's Israel that's being talked about. And in, in the overall flow, the context of the Bible, uh, as it talks about these end-time events, you know that it's Israel. You have to distort the Scriptures to turn this into the church or some other entity, but primarily you hear the church all through here. But again, I emphasize, these are all good things. When you help somebody, when you feed them, when you clothe them, when you give them water, when you help them when they're sick, when you visit them in prison, those are all good things that any righteous person would want to do. But here's a good example of how you don't take a scripture out of context to fit it into a preconceived idea that you bring to the Bible. Let the Bible tell you what's going on. That's called inductive study method. That's what we promote. In fact, when we finish our program, this uh, teaching series, we'll have a program on how to study the Bible inductively before we get into the um, 30 prophetic events. 
So this concludes our, our answer of who is not included in the rapture, and we will start a new question in our next program. Remember, if we don't talk again, I'll be seeing you in the air. Thank you for joining us on this edition of Exploring Bible Prophecy. Exploring Bible Prophecy is a production of WHCB. Learn more at whcbradio.org.